All right, welcome back into the program here on a Friday. By the way, as you've been hearing the entire afternoon here on The Blitz, don't forget it's another Thunder Friday night right here on the Griffin Media family where you can watch the game Cox Channel 53, News Now 6.3 here in Tulsa, KSBI in Oklahoma City, and a man that is uh, hot on the trail of the Oklahoma City Thunder on his way to watch them this evening as they get set to take on the Wizards here on well, Griffin, Friday night. I don't know where I was really going with that. It's John Holcomb. What's up, John? How are you today, buddy? <laughs> Bob, it's so nice outside. Uh, we're, I've got spring fever, Bob. I've got spring fever, and the only prescription is more thunder. <laughs> well, you could say thunder, but I know what the real prescription is for you. It's more driver. It's more three iron. It's more pitching wedge. Amen. That is that Amen. is the real real prescription to what you got going on right now how uh i know you said the other day you were playing with another tv personality but how are you swinging them so far here over the past week or so <laughs> <laughs> well i i did play yesterday nice. and you know i i'm thinking in terms of building the solid foundation for this particular golf year whatever comes of that so it, it means for me it means stop standing up in the middle of my swing Remember, the club can help you. Don't force it to try to help it to help you. Let it help you. Uh, don't strangle the club. Let's see. Yes, uh, it, you can give a light grip, and then the ball actually goes farther when you make good contact. And uh, stop making double bogeys that are senseless. Look uh, at you. Senseless doubles. You're yeah, getting back to the doubles. fundamentals, John. I know, I know, but Pop, sometimes we get away from those fundamentals. <laughs> it's always by a degree here or there, and then before you know it, you look up and say, I'm not the golfer I once was. <laughs> and then, so you got to work your way back. Building blocks, baby. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. Um, I want to spend the early portion of this not necessarily talking about the game that we're going to specifically see tomorrow, but since this is kind of the great unknown, I think all of us are of the opinion that we'll see this version of Bedlam back sooner rather than later. We don't really know what year that we can put on it yet, but it's by far easier to accomplish this in basketball than it is football. But I would, um, I'd love to hear some of your thoughts on just memories since you've been a part of the basketball broadcast and even memories before, because it doesn't seem like I've only seen a few pieces like a, like from a memory perspective on the basketball series of Bedlam it doesn't seem to have the same oh, back in my day the way that football did. And you, you've seen a lot of these games and a lot of very well-played games, some not so well-played, like maybe the last time that they met up in, in Norman. But I would love to just hear some of your memories about this this game between these two. Well, if you want to go as far back as I can remember kind of paying attention to Bedlam, I've – in, in terms of the basketball side, David Little for Oklahoma in Gallagher, like early 80s. Uh, you know, that that's one of them. I can also remember those orange wrestling-style uniforms that, that OSU had the one year. I think it was maybe 89, 89-90, somewhere in there, that, uh, you know, they didn't debut them in Bedlam, but I remember them wearing the orange version in Norman one year. Um you know, the, the classic battles between Eddie Sutton's teams and Kelvin Sampson's teams where, man, half-court offense was run with precision. 
because if you didn't run it with precision, then you're going to have a really hard time scoring against each other's defenses because there were such physical battles. Um, specific games I can remember, you know, one of the first ones, it wasn't the first one, but one of the first ones I tended to cover for, uh, for Channel 6, it was actually, and I'd been to several beforehand, so um, this wasn't the very first one, but the last game in Old Gallagher, when mm, Nolan yeah. Johnson for Oklahoma went crazy, the left-handed uh, undersized three or four, if you want to call him that back then, but um, how loud it was and then how quiet it got at the end when Johnson had helped make a, a clinching play. Um, you know, then obviously I've started doing the third-tier TV broadcast in the uh, in 01-02 season, and uh, I can remember – not doing TV for this one, but the, the uh, slugfest that ended with Victor Williams barely beating the shot clock in, I think it was, what, 47-45 game in 03 on Valentine's Day. Um, and just how crazy it was. But, you know, it had that it's had that feeling for so long. And have just been um, some games that didn't measure up to the standard other than incredible intensity and incredibly physical play between the two teams. Um, you know, you, you go on to, you know, Oklahoma hadn't given up a bedlam win at home to Oklahoma State in a long time. And then you remember that 04 Final Four team that just imposed its will on OU. And Daniel Bobick and Tony Allen and those guys getting a win in, uh, in Norman that year. And then, of course, going on to greater things. I mean, those are just some of the, the few that um, I can remember prior to starting doing radio. And then after after that, then, um, oh, gosh, you know, there have been a couple of times when Oklahoma State had grabbed momentum, needing more wins, and had Bedlam in Stillwater coming up and, you know, still needed wins, and then Oklahoma would rise to the occasion. And there's been a couple of times when they pulled off wins. Tony Crocker was on one of OU's teams uh, that year. Austin Johnson, I think, had a, had a big game for OU in Stillwater, and it was just kind of a deflating feeling. But then uh, OSU stealing that one late in Norman behind Juwan Evans and Phil Forte hitting the three and just how out of, not necessarily out of nowhere, but that was the feeling that that last little segment had to it. And, uh, you know, OSU actually being able to, to knock off uh, Blake Griffin Sooners in the Big 12 tournament in Oklahoma City one year as well. I mean, those are just a few of the ones that stand out to me. You mentioned Juwan Evans. How about the 42-point performance? It was a loss, but you know that was that was a wild, fun game against what I think was eventually a Final Four team for the Sooners, right? You know, it probably did one thing for basketball purists. That was just another example of, hey, let's run the high ball screen because if you have a guy who can run it to perfection, then you don't really need to run offensive sets, and so it kind of drives some of us crazy when you try to run high ball screen all the time and you don't really have the guys to do it, but my gosh, that worked to perfection. Evans was so good at that. And yeah, he, he kept that, he, what he scored like 17 straight at one point or something like that. And I can remember yeah, I think it was the same game where OSU actually had a shot to either force overtime or win the game. And it was, it was kind of a kick out to Jeffrey Carroll who couldn't have been more than about two steps in front of Dave and me over by the OSU bench and when he let it go, I thought, oh, my gosh, that's got a chance. It's right on line. But he did not make it, and Oklahoma won the game. But certainly the electricity in the building with Evans there. And then, you know, I 
how can you forget, especially if you're an OSU fan, when Mitchell Solomon knocks the ball free from Trey Young, of all people, and near midcourt, and just the the hustle and how that play embodies what OSU basketball fans uh, love the most, and that's a guy going after loose ball, diving on the floor, and the fact that he's your center and he was able to do that from a, an extremely talented point guard was just crazy that day. John, there was a point in the early 2000s that I think that you could make the argument because at that point, you know, Eddie Eddie got to what Oklahoma State in '90, I think, is was his first year. Kelvin got to Norman '94-ish, uh, but there was a point, you know, a decade plus in that I think that you could make the argument that the Bedlam basketball series might have taken a backseat to Duke, North Carolina, and maybe like Kentucky, Louisville, and just in terms of play, and there weren't that many that felt like they were as competitive and also absolute wars the way that they were there through the 90s into the early 2000s. Yeah, you know, both programs had established themselves as perennial tournament teams and and teams that you were going to have to play well against to give yourself a chance to win, you know, and – um, that was back in the uh, Kelvin Sampson denim dress shirt degree <laughs> and a first print days too. Yes, it was with that red tie. <laughs> yes. Uh, and and you know the other thing that was so great about that time frame is that no matter who you rooted for, okay, if let's say you were an Oklahoma State fan, you hated Rinzai Stone so much. You hated Ryan Humphrey. <laughs> you hated Eduardo Nahara. You hated Tim Haskett. You couldn't stand Nate Erdman and vice versa for Oklahoma fan. You know, there was a point there where you were going through in some of the early stages there of what we were watching. And tell me there wasn't a, a, a Sooner fan that couldn't stand Ivan McFarland. That couldn't stand, you know, oh. like John Lucas. Like you, the names just go on and on and on with who at that time that you couldn't stand. I mean, from from Melvin to Vic, I, I, like all of those guys. From from the opposite fans' perspective, you could not wait to see them get their you know what kicked. Yeah, and you're, that's a great point. In fact, there might be a. The, the one thing that OSU and OU fans could probably agree on around that time frame, maybe early 2000s, that there were two guys in the league who didn't play at the same time but played um, it, like one was slightly before the other. But there might have been two guys that you could agree that you both hated, and that was Jason Sutherland at Missouri <laughs> yes. in the 90s. And, and then Brian Boddicker at Texas would be oh, the other one. Oh, Yes. Boy, those are that now. Now you're kicking it back to like a glory day. Brian Boddicker, what an absolute turd he was to so many people that were fans of basketball. Was he worse than Brad Buckman? (laughs) Yes, yes, worse than Brad Buckman. And here's how I know. So, so I I don't know if I don't think I've shared this story with you before. But one of the first games, oh, the first season I did uh, the TV games for uh, Oklahoma State just a handful of them, we happened to get OSU's game at Texas. It wasn't picked up by any of the other networks, and Coach Sutton was sitting on 699 wins. So if you get a win in Austin, that's number 700. And we got that game. And so Coach Dickey, James Dickey, and I are doing the game together. And uh, so that was one of the first scouting reports that I sat in on was that day, right before pregame meal. And Sean Sutton had had the scout for that game. 
And, of course, Coach Sutton would sit in the back, and then he would jump in whenever he felt like it. But you go down your per- their personnel. And so Sean's gone through a few other guys. T.J. Ford was one, you know, in the tendencies and all this. And he gets to Brian Boddicker, and he just pauses. And he turns around and looks at the players, and he said, I wish somebody would just smash him. <laughs> and, and that, I mean, it was so good. And then uh, OSU, of course, goes out and wins that game that night, and they carry Coach Sutton off the floor near one of the tunnels, and, and we were able to coach Dickey got Coach Sutton to come on with us before we signed off on the broadcast. So that was a pretty special day. So did Boddicker and the other great hated Texas Longhorn, James Thomas, did they were they on the same team at the same time? They were they were right there. I They're close. Say they, were, they were right around the same okay. time. Right. They may have overlapped by a year or two. All right. <laughs> yeah, James Thomas now now James Thomas in in Stillwater. Now I know we're kind of getting down memory lane here a little bit, but James Thomas going into the stands, diving for a loose ball. I seem to remember something yeah. about that, and a guy and his and his pregnant wife or whatever. It was just Payne County District Attorney got involved. Yes, yes, I remember that. Well, how about the matchup tomorrow? Because I, you know, you couldn't uh, pick a better spot in the season for Oklahoma State to host Bedlam. Uh, riding the the two game win streak now, and for the Sooners, I mean, uh, similar to what we talked about with the Cincinnati matchup, they've got to be feeling all the pressure. Yeah, they do, and obviously, no John Hughley with uh, having had the meniscus uh, procedure done, and you know, you hope that he's able to get back for for OU at some point. Interesting to see. I don't I I don't know what uh, being out on the golf course all day yesterday. I didn't hear exactly what uh, Porter Moser may or may not have said about Soros because Soros is kind of a spark plug for them, and he's been out, was wearing a boot uh, part of la- last week. So, you know, we'll see about if he if he tries to play, how effective he'll be. You know, as, as weird as this may sound, um, the Cowboys found something in that loss in Norman, and they have – they have continued to do the things that they tried to do and came up just unsuccessful on it, Norman. And that's really what's led them to these last two wins over BYU and at Cincinnati. You know, Oklahoma does a good job of defending the three-point line, just like BYU and to a degree just like Cincinnati. But um, now BYU didn't show that on Saturday in Stillwater. But what the Cowboys did, knowing they were going to get run off the line – they, you know what? We've got to be aggressive. We've got to get to the rim, and if we're not going to have open threes to knock down, we've got to find a way to manufacture some other points by getting the free throw line or whatever. So they continued to attack the inside against OU. They got seven shots blocked in Norman in the first half and you know, were able to take advantage of a sloppy OU performance in that first half to stay close. But they didn't give up on it. You know, they didn't just sit around and say, okay, well, we had seven shots blocked. We might as well just shoot over the top of a defense. They didn't do that. They, they stayed aggressive. They didn't have success ultimately, missed too many shots in Norman, but they stuck with that plan. And you saw the inside-out effect against BYU, and then you saw an awful lot of going to the rim in Cincinnati, and it helped complement the outside with all the – aggressive ways that you were able to do it. And uh, I, you know, I think that's something that they're going to have to continue to do tomorrow, regardless of how many uh, shots that OU is able to alter. You know, last week you made a point, and now you're starting to see Mike Boyden kind of double down on it. But 
Everything that we had talked about John Michael Wright at the beginning of conference play to where he's at right now, uh, Boynton said John Michael Wright has been phenomenal. That was a quote on that. You were kind of touching on that last week as well. That is the type of, I think, leadership, maturity that a young team needed at this point in the season. And he's done it when we had questions of whether or not he was, one, going to even play himself even into an opportunity. He has, uh, as we kind of touched on back then, he's, see, he's seeing the light at the end of the tunnel in terms of the end of his collegiate career. And it matters to him. And I now, I flash back to uh, two or three of the road trips where Dave and I've been with the team. And who you kind of keep an eye on who, if, if there are certain guys that hang out with you know other guys, and not that you've got clicks going on, but that you see who seems to get along with each other pretty well. And John Michael Wright made it a point. He, he would sit with Jermyron Keller, you know, early in the season, all through things. And, you know, he, they, they don't sit next to each other with every single plane ride. But more often than not, they're, they're close together. And now seeing what Keller has been able to do the last two games, I've kind of thought back about that. And, and you know, it's not like I'm trying to stick my head between the two seat cushions to hear exactly what they're saying. But I think it's some of that leadership and some of that confidence is rubbing off on has rubbed off on Keller, and uh, that is you know as much as anything in these last two games, you started Jamiron Keller these last two, you've won them. And what's the number one thing that he's brought to the table? He does not shy away from physical aggressive play, and he will get after you, and he will just keep coming. You know, it made, I mean, he had a great shooting performance against BYU, but it was the little things that he did on Saturday that made a, a huge difference. Then the other night, he didn't press the issue thinking he needed to stay perfect. In fact, he didn't even – he turned down a couple of open shots early in the game, and I thought that's, that's pretty impressive. But what he was focused on was defensive end and the rebounding part of it, and he just stuck with that. And when the game came down to being on the line – you had your best free throw shooter in Javon Small making four for four in the last 19 seconds and Keller to ice the deal at the very end. But the play where he got the ball, where Cincinnati was trying to miss the second free throw down two and grab the rebound, Skillings, big six 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 seven guy, very athletic, made some bonehead plays during the game. But Skillings is out there beyond the top of the key, kind of off to the right. And I watched the whole thing before they shot the free throw develop. And I knew what Skillings was going to try to do. He was going to try to fly in from so far back that he might have gotten lost in the shuffle and find himself open for a rebound. Soon as Keller saw Skillings kind of line up where he did, Keller positioned himself perfectly. Mike Boynton looked at, at Jamire and said, Kel, he said, watch him. And Keller said, I've got him, coach. And sure enough, that miss went to that side, and Keller had Skillings boxed out. And it's, it's those little things. As Keller told me afterwards, those little things become big things. You know, and, and, and I, I flash back to John Michael Wright's leadership and talking Keller through things and helping him to stay patient, knowing that this kid could help you when he's ready to go. I'm assuming tomorrow's going to be the best crowd of the season, right? Yeah, I don't think there's any question. I think you'll have the best crowd of the season by far. If, uh, you know, and I and there won't be I, – I doubt there'll be as many OU fans as there were Kansas fans in Gallagher-Iba, but that's kind of, you know, that's a, that's a every-year thing. Are the police after Dean, John? 
Well, they're going to have to, uh, you know, find a way to get across the English Channel once they land their plane and catch up with the uh, cruise ship that's going oh, down the okay. Rhine. All right. So, <laughs> all right, never mind. Sorry. <laughs> I mean, it, it, I, I, I think he's getting back this weekend. I okay. don't know, but you know, <laughs> he's enjoying things. <laughs> It is a massive, massive weekend in general in Stillwater. Uh, Colby talked about the crowd for Bedlam, but then you got the wrestling match with with Iowa on Sunday. Everything that's going on right now, it's uh, it's it's happening right now on the campus there in Stillwater with softball getting ready to come back and their hot starts. Good time to be a Cowboy, John. Sure is. Women's tennis team still ranked number one again this week. The men's tennis team in the top twenty-five, and you've got those championships coming up in May out there i've already talked to travis meyer seeing, seeing what he can do in advance to make sure that we don't have we're not dodging tornadoes in may so we'll see if anyone can do it trav can trav can john appreciate you hey, man. man have fun tonight with uh thunder duty and we'll make sure to uh tune in you and dave tomorrow right here on the blitz 1174 another and potentially final edition of bedlam at least for a while well, I can guarantee you this. This weekend should be more fun than a shot in the eyeball. <laughs> Please tell me you don't have any more of those coming up. Are you done with these shots? April 2nd Yeesh. because I moved it from April 1st because I didn't want any sort of April fools going on with a shot in the eye. <laughs> All right, man. Have a great weekend. <laughs> That's John Holcomb joining us here on the Blitz 1170. And as always, we're streaming live on the Blitz 1170 app, live from the Tulsa Oilers Hockey Studios.